The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Our biblical text has caught me a little off guard this week, and maybe it is where I am in my life, but it's challenging me. Six weeks ago, I left my house full of stuff, an attic full of stuff, in a garage full of stuff, a work shed. I still have no idea how eight years of marriage has led to acquiring so much. And so as I got ready to journey to St. Stephen's, I left with my clothes and a musical instrument and the books for my office. I took what I could fit in my car. And I can tell you that I haven't missed or needed any of those things, minus my family, that I have left behind. But now we are getting more serious for hunting for a home and and it's messing with my soul. Don't get me wrong, it's fun and exciting. I mean, this place where we live is extraordinarily beautiful. And I know that we're going to find a wonderful home. But I'm watching myself get enamored with things in, in space where to put all those things that I've acquired. And I'm worrying, I'm finding myself worrying more about a house than a home. My hope's been that as Ann and I prepare to make the big move here, that we can be thrust into that mode of examining our lives, of resetting our understanding of what is important, 
of the great rummage sale of treasure in our junk and reevaluating what is important. But I'm watching that fade away as I get more and more enamored with this place. And, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I think my motives, I hope they're, they're somewhat good. I want to imagine where my family will grow up and the space they'll call home and the floors that will be covered with toys and the neighborhood friends we'll make. And I want to see this beautiful and safe life that we've made for ourselves, and I even want to believe that it's God-inspired. And so I hear the words of Jesus, what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? And I have to wonder if sometimes my motivation and desire misses the mark. And maybe, just maybe, I need to let the inner dialogue unsettle me and challenge my assumptions. These words of Jesus are a question that invites all of us into the desert life of Lent to reflect on who we are as God's beloved and to ask just what kind of life are we cultivating and creating Peter is pushed in this place in today's gospel, and the reaction of Jesus is jarring. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's, it's hard language that we hear. So it, we need to step back into the, the words that happened just before this, this part of Mark and see what really is, is going on. And, and we're at a turning point in the life of Jesus and his disciples. They spent a good amount of time with him, maybe a few years at this point. They've traveled with Jesus. They've seen miracles. They've been a part of miracles, and they've been a part of seeing people being restored to the fullness of life as they've been swept up in this narrative. And Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. No, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Messiah. It's easy to overlook this. It's a tender and touching moment. Peter confesses that Jesus is the answer to his life. He is the summation of everything that he has ever wanted in life. Peter has arrived at that moment when he has found his Messiah. You are my life, and everything will be well, because I know this. It's touching. It's beautiful. Peter gets it. But Peter also misses the mark. And so where the story picks up today, just the next verses, Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the Messiah. And do you know what this means? I'm going to undergo great suffering and be rejected and killed after and after 3 days be raised again. And Peter leads Jesus away. No. This can't be true. Look, you're the answer to all my prayers. You're my life and I followed you and now we can live in peace. Peter is comfortable with Jesus and yet doesn't understand what the cost of following him is going to be. And so Jesus rebukes him, get behind me, Satan. It's strong language, maybe to show just how much Peter has missed the mark. Or maybe if we're to embrace the humanity of Jesus, 
He knows how tempting it is just to say, we've arrived at the meaning of life. Peter loves his friend, but doesn't comprehend where the story is going. We hear those incredibly powerful words. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? And I'm swept back in my world, and I have to ask myself, what am I or what are we? What are we trying to gain in this world? And maybe today we're being asked for what can we give in return for our life? Jesus' response is that the gospel narrative is not fulfilled until that moment of self-denial and picking up the cross. We must journey to Jerusalem and have our hearts broken open by God. The gospel truth can be hard to embrace. Through our journey with God to Jerusalem, our lives are broken open. But it's this experience is necessary for us to find resurrection. Maybe some of you know this truth. Maybe you have lived this truth. Some of the hardest and most challenging moments of your lives have shaped you to be the people that you are and helped you to recognize the beauty and power of resurrection in your lives. The challenges and trials have shaped you to know that life is more than the sum of what we can acquire. Or maybe you are learning that now. Or maybe you know that is to come. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about my identity as an American in this country I call home. And don't worry, I don't have any easy answers that will excite some of you and upset others. I honestly have no idea what the right answer is on most of the hot-button issues. I'm not sure about what the appropriate number of guns or what amount of gun control should be that will solve our problems or what our tax rate should be or who should get breaks and who should not. But I do wonder if we're tempted into the place where Peter is to think that everything has been solved or to refuse to budge from where we are or refuse to have our egos challenged, or to suffer from letting our positions and power go. And so I wonder how we journey to Jerusalem and what we must give up in order to make that journey. Is it certainty or pride or what we have always known because that is the way it is supposed to be? Or is there a need to build a relationship with someone that will break our hearts open? to the redeeming work of God. I met a priest several months ago at a dinner with all the uh, canons to the ordinary of of Province 4. Allison was from Florida. At one time, he was the sheriff of Key West and then a lawyer that spent his time putting people in jail, and then he became a judge and the chair of his political party for the state. And it sounded like um, in our time at dinner that he held a tremendous amount of power. And he was content in shaping the world in the way that he had always believed it needed to be shaped. 
And he shared with me that night that at some point at the height of his career, he met Jesus. And it was interesting because from what he was saying, I suspected that he always went to church. He was probably a lifelong Episcopalian. But for him, something changed. And he left his career in power to become a non-stipendiary prison chaplain, spending time with many of the people that he helped to lock away. In the diocese where he serves, he started several prison congregations. And I don't know the whole story of what broke him open, but I do know that part of following Jesus is to pick up our cross and to let our hearts be broken open and to journey where we're scared to go. Regardless of what we believe, it is to let God challenge our assumptions. The reoccurring narrative of Lent means that at least one time a year, we have to allow ourselves to be moved, to be challenged through self-denial and picking up the cross. And it's incredibly scary work to do. But the promise of Christian community is that we're here to do this together. We encounter God when we gather together. And we are committed to walking to Jerusalem with each other. We do not go alone. This Lent, let us, like Peter, have the courage to have our assumptions challenged to make the way of the cross. And may we have the confidence to trust that God is a part of that. And God is with us in this Lenten journey. This is good news. That the journey does not end in Jerusalem, but instead is the beginning to a new and resurrected life together. Amen.